what does the end user of the future look like? Is it going to be artificial intelligence? Is it going to be some kind of machine? Will I be replaced? That conversation is not new. I found um, newspaper articles from London from the year 1800 something that were talking about that exact problem. So it's again, not a new problem, but it becomes bigger and bigger as we go because things are going faster and faster. What does this mean? This means we are living in a VUCA world. Who has heard the term VUCA already before? All of you? Now, this is really fascinating for a couple of reasons. Imagine you're driving down the road and it's getting dark and, you know, the weather is getting really, really, really nasty and bad and you're driving towards this lighting and, and it's just it's incredible. It's awful. It's just you don't know where to go. Your navigation system doesn't work. You're in a foreign environment. You simply don't know what to do. Ah, that's exactly the situation of sales leaders these days. Many times, very often. I talk to many of them. So living in a VUCA world means, uh, of course, volatility. Uh, there's high speed and unpredicted and unexpected challenges. Uncertainty. Uncertainty is the killer number one when you talk to your, uh, to your team members, when you talk to your customers. Uncertainty is something that needs to be addressed. Complexity. Oh, my goodness, I cannot understand anything anymore. And, of course, ambiguity. Uh, the world becomes blurry and fuzzy and we don't really know how to make decisions or executive decisions or how to deal with a situation in the family. It's not just only business related, it's something very personal. And that's another reason why this fascinates me so much because so many things I can apply in my real life and I do know people outside of SAP. I have friends who have normal jobs. Um, so imagine the world would look like this. Very nice and sunny, there are some clouds, everything's blooming, and there's a nice road ahead, slightly curved, and it's really pleasant. Imagine you can move from the VUCA world to uh, what, what Bob Johansson of the Institute for the Future, and this institute exists, Institute for the Future, calls VUCA Prime. And the core concept is to move from volatility to vision. Now, as sales managers, of course, Gotta have a vision, yeah. vision statement, mission. Yeah, but be clear to focus on what you really want to achieve. Provide the context that is so important. To really provide the context. To move from uncertainty to understanding. Now, uncertainty, the killer number one. What if people would really understand what you are trying to achieve? What if you would understand what their concerns are? So it's both ways. And um, it's about unimagined perspectives. So this gaining different perspectives and being open to gain different perspectives and look at what the critics have to say for a moment and understand their arguments helps you sharpen your own perspective. Super important. Actively listening, that is easily said. Yeah? And, and it's very hard to be done, especially in a remote environment where, by the way, this is my first business trip here since March 2020. I realize people have legs. Um, being in a home um, office type of environment, um, is, is, it makes it really hard to get your point across that you want to actively listening, listen as a, as a manager, as a leader. Um, but I do not want to talk about um, that today. Moving from complexity to clarity. Oh my goodness, now I understand what he or she has in mind. Now I, I demonstrate the different, I, I demonstrate why it's important and, and why it's important for me to gain the view of, of other perspectives. Communication and transparency is key, also easily said. The last point, moving from ambiguity to agility. 
oh, what if we do not follow the plan? What if we say, I don't even know how to move forward. Let's figure this out together. Let's test and try and, and learn by failing. And I'll come to that in a, in a moment. But these were the topics that were driving me to engage in a master project around sales leadership in the digital future. So why an SAP master program? Um, and I hear the words of my mother-in-law who said, Rainer, with 50 years old, you want to go back to university? Are you crazy? I said, dear Gabi, I'm not 50 yet. I will be 50 by the time I graduate, hopefully. Um, but, you know, learning is a lifelong journey and it's not about words. It's really about demonstrating that. And in 27 years at SAP, I was always in sales or in sales-related roles. And the last 12 years, I was in sales leadership development. And now I am in customer success transformation programs. So the reason why I'm thrilled and passionate about learning is you need to have an open mindset towards the future. You need to be open for something that you don't even know will come in the future. And you realize very soon when you see someone who does not have an open mindset, yeah, who's stuck in old thinking. And we have these people. And it's, it's sometimes good to have them because they're challenging you. But having an open mindset is very important in this personal journey. It's all about something they call action-based research. Ooh. I thought I have to read um, literature and then summarize it and come up with some smart ideas. No, it's action-based research. So really, really interesting approach where I, as a practitioner, am asked to bring in my expertise and create something new and maybe create a legacy or an artifact or something that helps the organization move forward. Uh, what could that be? I had no idea in the beginning. Um, of course, the Master of Science degree is something you can take away for life. Yeah, this is something that, that you achieve for yourself and you can tell your mother-in-law, hey, so look at this, yeah, and she has the picture on her desk. Um, that's one argument, but more important, it's really to get to a new level of professional mastery, especially in sales. Because where are the sales professionals who went through um, some kind of sales development journey in their lives? Where are they? We are asking ourselves the question. So, so this is very important to get to the, to the higher, to the highest level of mastery. And that learning journey never stops. That is my passion. But in retrospective of the program, maybe I should share the numbers because Phil wants me to ask, uh, to answer the question, okay, well, what in total, you know, is the SAP master program? What does it look like? And I brought some numbers. So um, since 2011 to 2022, we had 11 cohorts, um, more than 100 first level leaders going through this, coming from 30 countries, 50% of the participants got promoted once. 20% got promoted twice or more often than that. And 495, more than 495 research papers were written, 16 external publications, and I did two of those. Um, the book is coming, so there's more to come. I'm one of four students to advance in the doctorate. Um, that is um, a new way, we're a pilot group um, of participating in the DPROF program at Middlesex University uh, in a complete remote way, by the way, it works. Um, and this year we have 22 new master students coming from different, different countries, different cultural backgrounds. Um, so these are the numbers behind the program. Um, but more important than these numbers are the people behind the program. 
the people who run it, the people who use the insights to optimize it and, and continue, um, but also the people who participate, who act as ambassadors, who act as different thinkers, who act as unconventional thinkers, and uh, who really bring uh, new ways of doing uh, sales and doing leadership to their teams and others. Uh, and that's one of the big goals of, of the program, um, to really start the learning journey for these people, and it will never end. So in the enablement team for sales um, in EMEA, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and I'm asked to create specific training or curriculum for frontline sales managers. And the reason why we focus on frontline sales managers is because they are the transmission belt. And we know that if we want to change the sales force, we need to change the frontline managers because they are sitting between the strategy of the organizations, the salespeople, and the customers. So we start looking into this. When you look at that from a statistic perspective, from an enablement perspective, what do you see? You see the frontline managers are the ones that are the least trained into an organization. Not that they are the ones who have the least training, because there are a huge amount of training on, on leadership and coaching and training in all directions, but they are the least inclined to take that training because they are too busy managing forecast, especially at SAP. So we see that we are transforming our top sales guys who are usually promoted into sales management into a forecast machine. And what came to my mind is, okay, how do we move away from that dynamics? How do we create a space, not time, space? How do we create a space where those frontline sales managers can actually find a way to learn and transform? Because the standard curriculum from SAP was not good enough, as it seems, or not attractive enough. And let's face it, when you have a very experienced sales guy who is promoted as a sales manager and is a very experienced sales manager, they tend to believe that they know everything. At least that was my caveat in my mind. And that's where I turn to Phil. I say, Phil, listen, I'm stuck. I talked to MIT. I talked to Harvard. I talked to all the big names because everybody told me, Axel, you're new to enablement. You need to go to the big university, to the big tickets, because that's who with whom we are collaborating. I said, okay, fine. And when you talk about sales to university, they smile. They smile because sales is not a profession. So they have curriculum for marketing. They don't have curriculum for sales. They have curriculum for leadership, but they have plain vanilla Harvard curriculum, or they have plain vanilla MIT curriculum, or Stanford, but they don't have sales for SAP. <laughs> so I told Phil, I said, Phil, listen, I have a problem. I don't want to work with those big tickets who are going to ask for millions just to give me a plain vanilla course. I don't care. And I don't want MBA. I don't care. I want something made for sales for frontline sales managers, and it doesn't exist. There is no single university in the world who has created a master program. Actually, the master program was a solution. Any degree type for sales managers, for frontline sales managers, and that I could customize for SAP. So what could we do? And Phil said, yeah, you know, we started working with HP. And we started looking into this, and we have a partner called Middlesex University. You might want to consider this. Maybe we can build something. And as my favorite motto is build it and they will come, <laughs> coming from the movie Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner back in time, um, I said, okay, let's do it. If it doesn't exist, let's, let's build the first master in science degree for frontline sales managers in the world. Why not? <laughs> and that's what we did. 
that's what we everything started in 2000 uh, back in 2011 when we started uh, this journey we are 11 years down the road that means that we at sap were able to sustain that program across the time now let's be clear you don't drive a, a master program for a lot of people simply because of the cost associated with the program yet we try to get 16 frontline sales managers per year. That was the beginning. Now we are moved to 24. But 16, because each of them manage 10 to 15 people, you know, it's already a, quite an impact on 100, 200 salespeople. And when you know, according to the last research from Harvard Business Review on, uh, on transformation, that you need 7% of a transform mindset to transform an entire culture, as we have 4,000 people, you know, you make the math, right? We need to transform around, yeah, 350 uh, sales guys to transform the 4,000. So here we go. And we start that journey with Phil, Consalia in that case, of course, the entire team of Consalia, because Consalia has that unique ability to speak sales and academia. If you don't speak academia, you have no clue how to interact with a university. Unfortunately, Consalia speaks those two languages. So they were able to do the translation for me with Middlesex University. And Middlesex University have that unique ability to work, to believe that professionals can bring value. You don't have to be an academic to bring value to research. That if you're a professional, you have as much value as anyone in academia. And we started building it. And we are now, yeah, 11 years down the road with 495 research papers. You have the numbers in front of you. Promotions is surprising. Because when you see people who came through that master's and we have some of the pioneers in that call um, uh, who were with us on the first cohort, and of course, many others who have been there since then. I mean, there is a promotion, which is great, great right? Some of them have been 15 to 20% are double promoted in two years, 50% are at least promoted once. And they all have the ear of the board in their market unit or their region because they start thinking differently. Instead of working by silos, they start saying, okay, let's collaborate because innovation will come from that collaboration. And because they start bringing new, fresh ideas, looking at things differently or challenging the status quo, they start having the here of the upper management. So what it takes, team, to build such a journey is some courage. Um, you don't have to be at the board to drive transformation. There was a question we wanted to ask you is where, trans where does transformation come from? I guess you need to have a vision, okay? You need to have some courage and resilience because clearly pushing that program, I didn't have a budget. I just had my CEO who said, okay, Axel, you know, I back you up, work on that. We don't know what it is, but let's try it. But I had no budget, right? So I had to find budget. I had to sell it. I had to find ways to drive it. And without the guiding coalition, without Consalia and their expertise, and of course, the ability to speak and also with the intelligence of Middlesex to put you know, the professionals at the core, we couldn't have made it. So of course the team is important, but I was in a you know, middle rank management level, right? I was just sales enablement, but clearly the vision was clear. I knew that we wouldn't make the jump from on-prem to the cloud with standard training. I knew that we needed to create a special space. And I was thinking and telling Phil, how can we create that special place? where there is enough security, but not only security, quality of thought and quality of time for people to transform. 
Transformation requires quality. And what's the beauty of the master program? The master program, because it is an accredited program, because it will give you that degree at the end of the two years, give you that motivation to continue. Otherwise, you wouldn't go as a frontline sales manager into a two-year program. I mean, it's too long, right? Too much to do. But the beauty with Middlesex is that they tell you, and with Consalia, they tell you what you research, you apply. It's not that you're researching something outside of your job. It's not on top of your job. It is your job. Your job becomes your own research, right? So the frontline sales managers with the research at the core start taking their own practice and start evolving it by reflection. And reflection is a key element. If you want to transform a sales force, what you need is a space. Within the space is quality of thought, boosted by reflection and self-reflection. For self-reflection, you need to stand, you need, you need time. You need some time. And yes, it is painful. <laughs> so most of the students come to me and say, Excel, uh, you know, it takes time. Uh, we need to spend weekend on that because there are research papers to write and we need to reflect and we need to read. And they start reading again. Salespeople have no time to read. They're running, running, and running. Fact is, sometimes you need to step back, look at the bigger picture, read and reflect. And that's what the master program gives you as a space. So that's why I'm a big fan feel of the master program. Okay, so um, I think this neatly kind of segues into the, um, into the topic of transformation and, and kind of change. And we just thought we would set the scene on this topic of conversation about making sure we understand the terminology you know, correctly, because sometimes I think people use these two words interchangeably, um, perhaps not understanding what the difference is um, uh, between them. Um, Axel, I don't know if you want to share what, how you see the difference between change and transformation. This I would love to. I just delivered um, last week an interesting uh, session on future um, way of leading to India. And when I asked them, what's the difference between change and transformation, most of them came with an intention. They saw transformation as a positive change with an intentionality, which was more positive than change, which surprised me. I mean, we spend a lot of time in the master to investigate transformation. For me, the difference is um, a difference of nature, right? The change can be done and undone, right? You can move on <laughs> on a diet and then you can take some weight uh, back, right? So that's a change. Uh, transformation is different. Transformation cannot be undone. That's what we call a second level change. So when you go into a transformation, there is no way back. It's a very deep rooted change, something that usually impacts your belief systems, your mindset. It's not, you know, when you know that the, 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 the earth is round, then it's round. <laughs> you cannot come back and say, now it's flat, even though some people might question, but uh, usually that's how it is. So transformation cannot be undone. Now we can talk about level of magnitude, but I don't think that's the most important. Something also that sometimes is surprising, just to throw it on the table, is that um, transformation is um, has a start and an end, right? There is a point where that transformation occurs, right? So you can create an environment where that transformation can take place. That's what I would like to discuss about with the master program. While change is more of a continuous process, kind of innovation, things that are incremental 
uh, to a normal daily routine. Transformation is different. There is something that happens that starts driving that transformation, that makes that transformation occur. It's a discontinuous process. So I want to ask you yourself, and I ask this to so many people, what is personal change? And when I ask that question to people, I get a, a heavy mix of confused faces, blank stares, or just uh, somebody trying to say, well, I'm really not sure. And that's really interesting because we need to understand what is personal change. And especially in sales, sales people and sales professionals are caught in between the organization itself and also the B2B and B2C customers that they support. So there's constant change that's happening to our salespeople and not just salespeople, but leadership and operations and everybody within the organization. So first, I'd like to talk about organizational change. And we need to talk a little bit about this so that we can draw out the differences and review this so that we can understand how do we help the individual. Now, organizational change is a methodology and practice of implementing and processing change within business and within organizations. And you've probably seen some of the models I'm going to share with you today that we learned about in the master's program. And um, it's probably something that you are very commonly uh, known about. You have a, a cognitive awareness of what is organizational change. So let's talk about that for just a moment before we go into what is personal change. Now, in the sales master's program, one of my favorite uh, sections is module four. And that's where I really caught on to this. Um, organizational change is where we learn about in leading sales transformation, you have to understand the concepts behind change and change management. And so we were taught about these different models. And you see here, Kurt Lewin's freeze model, unfreeze, change, and refreeze. You see the McKinsey 7S model, which is down below on the left-hand side. Shared values is at the center, but you have the, the outer bands, structure, systems, style, staff, skills, and strategy. Now then again, these are the organizational change models. On the right, you see Cotter's eight steps model. And in the center, he's focusing on, well, what are we doing? We're leading change. And the outer bands on the outer elements are the elements that he prescribes that leaders and management people should go through in order to execute change within the organization. And so we learned about this in the master's program. And we kept going with our learnings to see what was the viewpoint on all types of organizational change? Now, this was one that probably is common or more familiar to you. Um, this is referenced back to Dr. Elizabeth Kupler-Ross, the top graph, and it's called the SARA curve, S-A-R-A, which stands for shock, anger, resistance, and acceptance. Now, this is very interesting because there is no true unknown owner or owner of who created this. And if you want to know my story of how I interviewed Ken Ross, which is the son of Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, on did she create this, well, I invite you to read my book because I had an in-depth interview with him about this model. But this version, as you see here, Reactions to Feedback, the SARA model, is accredited to uh, Rogel. He created this version in use of 360 business feedback sessions for employees. Another popular one is called the ADCAR, and this is probably more dominant around the world. And this is Prosky's uh, Awareness, Desire, Knowledge, Ability, and Reinforcement. And this is where I get my most uh, critical feedback because there are so many certified and professional Prosky 
uh, trainers and coaches that are out there. And when I talk about scared so what in personal change, it's commonly pointed right back to the D in desire. And they say, well, this is where personal change is described. And what happens though, you can break the model very easily if you just ask this simple question, what happens when the individual rejects change? You can't go forward with the model. And typically in business leadership, we do not ask those types of questions to find out if the individual accepts the change, uh, if they're on board with the change, or if they agree with the change. So with organizational change models, there's also a common statement that you have probably heard. It is prevalent around the world. And some of the, the most respected journals and articles and, and publications that are out there constantly refer this statement to say that 70% of change management fails. But again, in following Dr. Philip Squires and, and uh, the Consalia methodology to always find the evidence, to always look deeper and look beyond what is just printed or just what's there and try to find the truth, I ask the question, is this true? Harvard Business Review, it, it highlights that this is true. Um, McKinsey Studies highlights that this is true. But if you see what we've learned in the master's program to question the evidence, is the evidence there? There is no reference. It's just a, bl a blank, vague statement. And it is always listed, but there's never a citation of where did this come from. Fortunately, a good friend of mine, Dr. David Wilkinson, who is the chief editor of the Oxford Review, he's also a veteran police inspector. So this didn't sit well with him in his research at Oxford either. And what he did, kind of like myself, was to contact these leaders of global change, these gurus who have made these models around the world. And he traced this statement all the way back to John Cotter. And what he found out that John Cotter actually said is here. He said, a few of these corporate change efforts have been very successful. A few have been utter failures. Most fall somewhere in between with a distinct tilt towards the lower end of the scale. Now you can assess what that means to you, but what John Cotter is saying is a few are successful, but most of them lean towards the lower end, which is failure. And why is that? And this is where I was in my master's program saying, these models don't work for me because there's something missing. So how do we manage personal change at work? And as a sales leader, how am I supposed to influence, develop, drive, um, and drive towards success my own people? I can't use a model that's prescriptive on them. I need to do something that helps them to evolve their own thinking. And what is that missing link? Well, the organizational change models they don't always work. And we know this now. We've seen the statements, we've seen the research, but the global leaders of change, they've always said the missing link is the individual involved. And it's the person who's expected to carry out and execute the change. And when I spoke with them about my new model, Scared So What, their response was, Grant, you've done it. You've bridged the gap between organizational change failure and organizational change success because you're including the individual. And so that's what we wanna keep talking about. Personal change, what is it? Before I go on to this breakout session and we start talking with you, what is personal change? Well, it is any change that happens to you, with you, for you, 
or about you. It's not about the organization. It's about the individual and it's about you. So how do you manage that? All right. Well, let's go ahead and start to look at it. What is this new methodology in this new way that we've uh, perfected over with research over the past few years? Well, managing personal change was scared so what? How do we manage personal change? And as a transformational leader who takes off their jacket and who sits down beside their employees, who fosters coaching, and who is being a person who is invested in their development and their growth, you want to foster an element of critical reflection. And we learn about this a lot in the Sales Masters program. Critical reflection is the art of giving yourself space to think, time to think, time to make informed decisions versus making assumptions and reactive decisions that we often do so much of today. And so scared allows us to look at your feelings towards the change that you're facing. So that's the feeling side of it. I'm scared of change. And the key here is you don't really have to be scared. This works for all types of change. And I'll show you that in a few moments. But you want to start to become aware of what you can and cannot control versus just living in that anxiety, that stress, and that fear of the change that's being imposed upon you. So you use the scared sub model to break down so that you can understand how you're feeling. And let's take a look at what that is. So scared allows you to start to look at what are you feeling with the change? Now, what we do today, and what I've heard you loud and clearly just say, we tell our salespeople what to do, or we tell our teams what to do, um, and we lead transactionally. And sometimes they reject it. Well, sometimes they uh, don't follow along or we don't get the outputs that we want as leaders. And there's a reason why. And I've shared that with you. The missing link is the individual. And they have not been taught how to manage personal change for themselves until now. So what we do on the right-hand side is the scared process. At the center is you and your change. You are synonymous with the change because it's about you. This is not about the organization. This is about you and how you feel towards that change. And what the outer bands are, those are your guiding elements for critical reflection. And so what you do is you can start out with surprise at the top. And you can say to yourself, almost like a personal coach or Lee as an actual official coach, I do this as well too as a certified coach. I ask people, are you surprised about the change? But the goal is to allow them to do it for themselves. And so they start to say, am I surprised? Is it a positive or negative change? Next, they go say, "Do I uh, am I feel, feeling conflicted about the change or do I champion this change? And you notice there's two different sides of the spectrum of the question, one for positive energy and one for negative energy. Because what we've learned is that people can reject change just as much as they can accept it. So you have to look at both sides of the spectrum. In the middle is what actions can I take? And just like in sales, at the heart of every sales transaction is the actions that we take as salespeople to generate uh, an action to happen to make the sales occur. The same happens to you in your own mind. We want to generate information. So you have to do some sort of an action that could be reaching out to a friend, that could be doing some research, that could be calling somebody, reading some emails, reading a book. But when you take in information, you're taking action to generate information that helps you to make an informed decision. And that is the goal. 
you don't want to be making assumptive decisions or um, as we would say, knee-jerk reactions. You want to actually critically reflect on what's happening. By now, you're starting to become more receptive to the change or getting a direction about how you feel towards it. It could be positive, I'm receptive to this change, but it also could be negative, meaning I'm rejecting this change, and that is okay. And I pause there because you don't see that in any other model. People can accept change and they can reject change. And as a leader or a coach or a supervisor or an HR representative, I want to know where my people are in the change process because it could be they're making assumptions or they don't have the information. And as a leader, it's my job to make sure they have that information. By now, the individual, if they're accepting, they're receptive or rejecting a change, I still want them to make sure that they can explore all options or opportunities. It's another action point just for clarity to make sure, did I look at everything that I needed to to make me be able to have the best decision possible. And the last part is to make a decision about the change that's happening, about how do you feel about it. Now, this is interesting because it has three action points. You can make a favorable decision, meaning I like this change. Thanks, boss. I love it. I'm going to be on board and I'm, I like this. I'm ready to move forward. Great. So what's next? That's where the other models also stop short. They don't tell you how to get to the next part to action the change. But in this one, the person's made a favorable decision. They also can make an unfavorable decision, meaning I reject this change. I don't like it. I've thought about it. It's not for me. But as a supervisor, if you're not asking people how they feel about the change, you may not know. And more often than not, they won't tell you because they feel uh, shy, intimidated, or exposed. And so as leadership, you need to help them through this process. There is a third element here in the decision factor. And I'm, I'm asking you a question. How many times have you ever been in a situation at work or wherever and said, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know what direction I'm supposed to do. Um, and if you've ever found yourself there, that is called indecision. And as you go through the scared model, we have a quiz that allows you to visually see what you're thinking towards a personal change situation. And in the quiz, if you're stuck in indecision, you will often see actions and explore as being read, meaning that you haven't taken the appropriate actions to generate information. Therefore, you're making an assumptive decision to be stuck. And so this is really interesting. If you can apply this through critical reflection, you can now break down the change process that's happening to you and you don't have to make assumption. You can actually stop and think the change through so that you can make an informed decision for yourself. 